watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And today, we will be continuing our series Lo-Fi Sci-Fi with 1982's Liquid Sky. You want to know who and what I am? I'm a killer. You want to know where I'm from? Mayflower style. I was taught that my prince would come and he would be a lawyer and I would have his children. And on the weekends we would barbecue. And all the other princes and their princesses would come. And they would say, delicious, delicious. Oh, how boring. So here we are, Liquid Sky, a 1982 independent film directed by Slava Suckerman, starring Anne Carlyle. Liquid Sky follows a young model in early 1980s New York uh, named Margaret and another model named Jimmy, both played by Anne Carlyle. Um, and it kind of crosses over into sci-fi here when a UFO lands on the roof of the penthouse apartment occupied by Margaret and her roommate Adrian. Um, and as we go along here, we see Margaret kind of struggling to work through her life as as a model, and uh, this strange thing starts happening where every time she has sex with someone, they kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, liquidate. They, they just kind of disappear into thin air, and when she discovers that she has this power, she starts to use it to avenge past demons that we see earlier on in the film. Yeah. Um, which, that's a pretty loose interpretation. This plot jumps all over the place, um, this isn't necessarily a film that I think, as many of the films we discuss, plot is that important. Uh, once again, we're dealing with a really low budget here of $500,000, so comparatively low. Um, once again, our last episode, we talked about um, THX, THX, and that budget was just over $700,000. This one, once again, we're looking at around $500,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not a huge budget, not super, super small either, but I think used really, really well. Yes. I agree. Um, I think the fact that they didn't have that much money, it allowed them to be much more creative with how they told their story uh, and the character. You know, they concentrated more on the characters, I found, which was the most inter- interesting aspect of it. Uh, the main actress, um, as you mentioned, um, who actually has a dual, dual role in it, uh, the actress Anne Carlyle, um, as a man, both a man and a woman. Although they're both pretty androgynous, but mm-hmm. uh, Margaret and Jimmy, um, so they were able to focus more on you know actors, characters, um, the sets, and obviously the most important aspect of this film, I think, the makeup. Makeup, yeah, and and, and this was an interesting time because and they actually mentioned David Bowie by name in this film. They do, but yes. this is this was kind of when. You know that that androgynous, uh, highly stylized. Thing, you know that that modeling thing was very very popular um and it was kind of it was kind of in a way where a lot of people were doing it um where it was this underground movement but it was kind of crossing over into the mainstream a little bit it, it was something that people were familiar with and one of the things that i found really interesting about this film and and i, and I do think just to preface this i really enjoyed this film um i did I, as well i know mark you were saying you did and and what what i really enjoyed about it is that 
it could have really easily ended up just being an exercise in style. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a totally stunningly beautiful film. Uh, Mark and I were talking before recording this. We actually saw two different... Not, so there aren't two versions. There's only one version of this film. But, <laughs> no but, George Lucas here. <laughs> no George Lucas here. But there is a restored print, um, which Mark saw. I saw an unrestored print. And both... Uh, I mean, I, and I've seen clips from the restored print, and it's stunning. It's absolutely beautiful. These colors are just so rich. But even the one I saw, which was kind of a pretty uh, rough print, for lack of a better term... Uh, it was still really beautiful. The colors are rich. The, the the characters' hairstyles are beautiful. The makeup is stunning. The camera work is really nice. There's some excellent abstractions, mm-hmm. but all to support bigger ideas and character development. Yeah. The uh, so the characters. Uh, well, let's talk about the makeup real quick because mm-hmm. I do want to focus on that since it is such a main focus of the film. Uh, the way I saw it is makeup is almost another character in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you mentioned uh, the color as well, which I, I feel like the whole movie feels almost neon or yeah. like, like Christmas lights, you know, it just, Very, uh, those, those strange tones are just over everything. It could, it could have been a Nick winding Refn movie. easily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I don't know if he was influenced by this, but, but um, it definitely has a, yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise. Exactly. Um, yeah. So just the colors and the makeup, uh, almost their own character in the film. And they get a lot of a lot of screen time. They get like, uh, you know, a spotlight put on them. Um, and I think justifiably so, because I think that aspect goes along with the theme of the film, um, you know, where the main character almost feels like a, like an empty shell. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's doing herself up and going on photo shoots, but clearly, you know, she doesn't feel all that exotic or, you know, all that interesting. She kind of just, you know, she's, it's almost like she's just going with emotions. You know, she's in New York at that time. She's in Mm -hmm. a certain scene and she's just with a certain group of people. And obviously there's drugs involved. um, And she's kind of just going along with it. Lots Um, of drugs. Lots of drugs, lots of drugs. Um, So yeah, the makeup and the colors and all that, the sets, they all kind of go along with that. I think that's why. and, And like you said, Jeremy, I think the film is, a lot deeper than uh, than even I thought it was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I had seen this film before, um, but it definitely, uh, I would say it, it kind of washed over me. And I don't know if that's my fault or what, you know, I, I probably maybe wasn't giving it my full attention at the time. Um, but this time when I watched it, it, it definitely resonated a lot more with me. Uh, I guess I was, I, I was probably paying attention more to it. Um, and I just, I, I got a lot from it. And I thought there was a lot of interesting ideas there. Um, the dialogue was great. It was very like, you know, snappy but, but poignant um, and interesting. Uh, a lot of great quotes from it. Not all of which we can say, or no. if we do say, we'll be. So this is definitely so. The, the focus of this movie, a large, a large chunk of it, is this young woman having this kind of sexual reckoning. Um, there are a lot of people in her life, both men and women, who are forcing themselves on her, and she's kind of this this object of lust and beauty um and this this idea of objectification and and it was done at least in a way i haven't seen it done before where it wasn't so much that you know it it wasn't so much that she was presented as as a sexual object it was just that you understood that that's what she was she was in makeup she was getting dolled up and it was just kind of because that's what other people were telling her to do um, there was this this big monologue close to the end, which once again 
spoilers on the show always. Uh, there's this big, really beautiful monologue at the end where she goes on about how she was from Connecticut and she was told that she would find a husband and they would have barbecues, but then she was told that she should be a free woman and she should move to New York. But then when she got to New York, she was told that if she wanted to be free, she had to be a model and wear makeup. And and you realize that regardless of the circle she in, even even regardless of the circle she in, even even if she feels like this liberated woman because she's rebelling, she still feels trapped because she's still just trying to connect. So the makeup serves a really interesting purpose because generally when you see these kind of avant-garde films, they're rebellious by putting the makeup on. But in this particular film, her putting the makeup on is oppressive, which was really subversive. I don't, I don't know if I've seen mm. that before. Yeah. Um, and in this era of, you know, Me Too and that movement, um, I, I felt like it resonated with that as well. Mm. Um, because she is essentially abused by a lot of these clients or, you know, just men mm. that she comes across and she's almost dead to the world, you know, in those moments, um, where it's weird because it, she's a very, um, complex character. She's very liberated and in, in control, but also at the same time, she gives herself over to these, you know, these sexual predators essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a weird sort of empowerment behind it. Um, and it seems like she's struggling with that throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. Did, do you, did you get that as well from that? From yeah. Her? Well, I think, I think she's kind of caught in this, this uncomfortable situation where she doesn't really know who she is or who she wants to be. And she's, she, because of that, you know, she doesn't really seem to love herself. She doesn't really seem to love herself. She doesn't really seem to be particularly passionate about anything. And because of that, I think that when, horribly devastating things are happening to her she doesn't feel like she's in a position where she can react in any way she doesn't feel like she can say anything about it which is you know really common now i mean we're learning way more about it now because people are thank god finally being vocal but she doesn't really yeah but she, she doesn't feel like she can come out and say anything about it so she kind of internalizes it. So then to get to our sci-fi aspect, because a lot of you are probably sitting around saying, well, how is this a sci-fi movie? Yeah. Um, like we mentioned before, this UFO lands on the penthouse of her apartment. It's a, it's a little confusing. This is where it gets a little difficult to follow. But these aliens are in search of uh, some kind of chemical that's released by the human brain that is similar to that of heroin, is similar to that of opiate it's like, receptors. It's like an endorphins, right? For- yeah, like endorphins. That only gets released when people have sex and orgasm. Orgasm, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when she starts having, so when she has sex with people and they orgasm, they're killed immediately, and presumably that endorphin is sucked from their brain by the alien. <laughs> um, pretty wacky, but stay with us yeah. here because it's all a metaphor. It's um, all a metaphor. Yeah. And the whole thing is that she's not able to orgasm because she's kind of empty, so she's not dying each mm-hmm. time she has sex. She's kind of left alone. Um, which is really, you know, it's an interesting metaphor also just about the, the, um, the pursuit of pleasure, which a lot of this film is about. Um, Mm -hmm. there, there's one part where then where the title comes from liquid sky is a drug dealer is talking and he's saying, we're all chasing that liquid sky. We're all chasing that pleasure. That's not verbatim. Maybe we can pull up a clip and play it here. Um, but you know, everyone in this film seems to be chasing a constant high Everyone is, you know, they'll be in the middle of setting up for a photo shoot and all they can think about is drugs, um, which was really prevalent in this scene and all came crashing down with the AIDS epidemic a few years later. Um, 
but this idea of chasing the high and everyone's chasing the high and, and she spent her whole life chasing the high and is having this awakening where she realizes that the high doesn't really lay, doesn't really lie in anything that anyone else will tell her to do. It has to come from herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that you don't really know until, you know, later in the film, um, mm-hmm. You don't really learn that until later. What what exactly is going on? Because it is hard to tell mm-hmm. uh, when you're watching the movie. Uh, focusing on that sci-fi aspect, uh, you know, we should talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I for one thought uh, the I the notion of of invisible aliens that, that's certainly one way to get around not having a budget. You know, or yeah, having a that's very brilliant. Yeah. having a very small budget. I think that's a kind of a, yeah. Like I I thought the same exact thing. I thought it was brilliant. Um, because it is a sci-fi film, you know, it could be classified as one, but mm. it's also something completely different. And it's, it's, it's so much more than that. And uh, it's very artistic and avant-garde. <laughs> and um, the fact that they, they use these invisible aliens as a metaphor, I thought was, was really smart. Yeah. Um, you do see UFOs. <laughs> yeah. But um, briefly, though, it's not briefly, overdone. Yeah. They yeah. don't focus on it very much. Um, so it is such an abstract concept in the film that they're OK. There's these aliens because you have characters that do talk about the aliens and the UFOs, but it's really not the main focus. So the main focus is this main character and just the scene at that time. I mean, we mm-hmm. we talked a little bit before we recorded that, you know, New York at this time, the pre 2000 New York uh, before it was quote-unquote cleaned up whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it disneyland um, exactly yeah before that you know it was a completely different uh scene there completely mm-hmm. different city so you see that on display in this film and it's um one of the more interesting aspects of it I yeah would say. and and so this did just for a little background um this came out of a movement or at least in my research i found that it came out of a movement called no wave um which right. was a play on new wave which was a group of artists including Jim Jarmusch, um, you know, famous for Stranger Than Paradise, Down by Law. Uh, one of my personal favorites, Mystery Same Train. Way. Yeah, Mystery Train. I love tons of great Jim Jarmusch. But also some really great visual artists, uh, such as Robert Longo and Richard Prince. Um, you know, well, also, Andy Warhol was in there, too, I felt. Yeah, Andy Warhol. I think Andy Warhol was a little pre Di- Yeah, that, different but scene. But, he was but kind I, of involved. He was, his, you know, in, his influence was there. I his influence, like the, yeah, his influence was huge. The factory, um, yeah. Also, you know, like Madonna was coming up in the city at this time. The synth bass, this is a fun fact, um, just because the song has been stuck in my head for two months. The synth, <laughs> the synth bass that they used to score this is 100% the same synth bass sample or whatever that's in Like a Virgin. Is it really? Uh, 100%. I have no oh. doubt in my mind it's the same thing. That's so, great. So this is really of that time. Mm-hmm. Um and like you but, said, they mentioned David Bowie. Like the, you know, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, there there was an awareness uh, with this film um, and and an artful quality. And and what was interesting with this no wave movement is that it was kind of the '80s version of like DIY. You know, you would see a lot of these films come out, and a lot of them were shot on eight or sixteen millimeter, handheld, made with their friends. No one even would think of using a permit. Uh, or anything like that, which is something that is going to be very common throughout the rest of this series as we get lower and lower in budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting with this film is that, as we mentioned, it's really beautiful, and I believe that this was shot on 35 millimeter, um, which if on a $500,000 budget, you realize a lot of the budget probably went to the film, the film itself. Alone, yeah. Um, which is, I think, interesting because, I mean, at least to me, and I'd like to hear you speak on this, Mark, 
that I think that really gives it this communal aspect because you realize that all of the people that are in this film are probably there because they wanted to be. They weren't hired hands. This was probably the real scene oh, of yeah. people who were just hanging around definitely with these with this filmmaker and and you know these models mm-hmm. and actors and actresses. Totally. Yeah, I definitely got that feel when you watch this when you watch this movie it's like okay, these people either they all knew each other or they became quick friends and they all hung out and did these kind of I mean not saying they they did drugs or whatever but I mean maybe they did but mm-hmm. you know you just get that feeling that that communal feel like you said um so that that is a cool aspect of it um you really feel like you're watching part of a scene like almost like a I don't know like a theater group or a yeah you know so something like that like they're just gonna get together and make a movie it yeah. has that feel to it yeah yeah you're kind of let in on a little bit of it it almost feels like a secret in a weird way yeah because it's just so specific you know it it's is. just it, and, and a lot of the time movies that are this specific don't hold up well um but i think a, a lot of the time that is almost because they kind of don't open the door and let you in on it properly whereas this one they just kind of throw you into the whole scene so quickly that you kind of almost feel like, oh, you know, I could be in this scene. You know, like, I could be connected to this thing. Um, and what's cool is is this movie was actually super influential in ways that aren't obvious. Um, because it didn't have a huge influence on cinema, at least to my knowledge. I mean, we said maybe a Nick Reffin, you know, or I know Ryan Gosling directed a film that had a big neon wash and Stranger Things and all that. But where the influence really came in um, in my research that I found, and, and I've seen it, you know, I, I for listeners who don't know, I actually live in Brooklyn. Um, so, you know, there, there are remnants of this scene still around. Um, but the main, the main place that they're still alive is actually in the club scene. Uh, the club scene, particularly in the avant-garde club movements of the 90s and 2000s. And then now you see it a lot in kind of, um, you know, you, you see it in, there's, there's still an avant-garde club scene in New York in New York, particularly in queer art, you see a lot of this kind of neon expressionistic, um, makeup drenched look, uh, drag. I was Um, reminded of a party monster, actually that whole scene in the, yeah. Yeah. Like the club scene where there was really over the top and extravagant and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was also New York, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Which I wonder if, if, if that's a misinterpretation or if it's exactly what it is, because this movie doesn't seem to, totally embrace the scene it seems to be mm. pointing out that there's a lot of um shallowness and shallowness and yeah. uh stuff to, yeah, yeah like there's kind of something to be wanted still mm-hmm. um that isn't fulfilling to these people but i think that happens a lot you know there are plenty of movies and songs that come out where the mis- message just gets totally misinterpreted yeah i mean i i definitely saw this as a critique um on the culture mm-hmm even though they may have enjoyed the culture and they may have felt embraced by it, I still see it as somewhat of a critique of it and, uh, or, or at least examining it in a certain way. Um, yeah. Being introspective about it. And that's what I liked about it. It's a very introspective film, uh, which, which on the, on the surface you wouldn't think, you know, okay, low budget sci-fi movie where people wear lots of neon makeup and there's drugs and, you know, prostitutes, but you know, really it's, it's very, um, it goes deep, you know, it, some of the scenes like really, really resonated with me, particularly, um, I'm sure we're going to get to the moments that we enjoyed, but the scene where, uh, I think you mentioned it actually with a scene where she's, um, the main character, Margaret is, she's actually applying the makeup 
as mm-hmm. she's giving sort of like a monologue uh, almost to the camera, almost to us. Yeah. And uh, that scene was really powerful, I thought. And uh, really used the makeup to uh, to the, the greatest effect, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, there are a lot of those moments where it's just, you feel like it should just be a style thing. You feel like it should just be a pretty image to look at. But then you dig in and you just realize how much exactly is going on. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's still, you know, there's still that youth to it. It's still... Mm-hmm a youth culture and you get that when you, when you watch it. Um, like you said, you know, felt feels like these people knew each other and they probably did. Yeah. It feels uh, like a young, a young movie made by young people, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting because movies, you know, they are such a prohibitive medium because of the, the cost. So yeah. a lot of the time, traditionally in the history of cinema, you know, every once in a while you'll see a, a you know, Paul Thomas Anderson mm-hmm. or, uh, so every once in a while you'll see a Paul Thomas Anderson or, you know, I guess a Damien Chazelle or something like that. You know, a director who's in his or her 20s or early 30s who's able to work on a large scope. But most of the time, you know, direct movies made by young, young directors. And I don't know how old uh, Suckerman was in this. I can try to figure it out. Uh, I can't find his age anywhere. Um also kind of a mysterious dude, didn't have a particularly big career after this. Um, but but it, it feels like a movie really made by young people for young people, um, which is, I think, the thing that is kind of makes it feel immortal, maybe. You know, it, it feels like it doesn't really, it hasn't really aged in a nasty way, is that even though, you know, there are some things that are stuck in the moment a little bit, the feeling of being a lost youth is still there. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have that seedy New York, and and I think that is a, a character as well, uh, as well as as makeup, um, and then the whole drug scene. Um, actually, I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, what did you think the film was trying to say, or did say about drugs or drug culture at that time? Do you, do you think it was trying to to have a message, or you think it was presenting it just as they saw it? Uh, so for me, I think that the the drug side of it, a, I mean it. In a weird way, so so I, I watched another video, which is really good, maybe we can link to it, called What is Liquid Sky, um, that kind of explored some of the themes in this movie. Um, and what that was, you know, what, what that kind of talks about is, you know, where where this came from, um, the, the kind of time and place. Um, but it also talked about how you see a lot of these contemporary, particularly in television, shows like Girls, broad city, uh, that explore what it's like to be a young person in New York City, but they're exploring kind of a nicer mm-hmm. New York um, in a pretty literal way. Um, and so I think even, even, even though this film feels very sci-fi and it feels very abstract, at its core it's really just a film that's doing something similar to what those shows are doing, which is exploring what it's like to be a young person in New York. And mm-hmm. I think at that time, drug culture was huge. It was it, just a part of being it, there. It was just a part of being there. So I think there was that, um, that it was just, if, if they didn't make it about drugs, it wouldn't be honest. But then I think on top of that, the bigger thing it was doing was it was exploring the idea of chasing euphoria. Um, because mm-hmm. really every single character in this movie, at the core, it, I think is just trying to find their little slice of happiness mm-hmm. for the moment. They're not really concerned about what it's going to be like down the line. You know, they're not really concerned about what happened yesterday. They're just very in the moment trying to mm-hmm. get as high on drugs, on life, on money, on anything they can as possible. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that that's for me is where the drugs come in, and I think they were used in a really interesting way. For sure, because um, you see, you know, you see a lot of movies based on the drug scene or different, you know, aspects of it. And I thought this film really took a, a, a different perspective on it. it. It almost approached it with like a malaise or apathy um, mm-hmm. that you don't always see on display in these in these types of you know of, of drugs films or yeah. anything like that. You usually don't see that aspect of it. You know, it, like you felt like like you said, it's basically a, a part of their lives. Like it's just simply how they lived. You yeah. know, it's not even a gr- a good thing or a bad thing. You know, it's just kind of what it was. Yeah. Um, and they're always chasing that high, like you said as well. Um, but it, does do they ever f- actually feel better in the end? I mean, that's probably not right. So, um, that's what you get from it, and I think that you know, I think a lot of movies try to present that, but I think this movie just did it so well. Yeah, and it's hard to put your finger on why that is exactly. I think a lot of it is the performances, um, and the imagery also. I mean, the shooting up scenes when they would when they would do that. It's very um, realistic. It's it's, it's, not... it's realistic, but also abstract. They had the, yeah. uh, you know, the sound yeah. design. It, it was like akin to like an atomic bomb going off, you know, mm-hmm. when, when they would shoot up or, or, or you know, um, which I found pretty cool. Like, you know, yeah, it was an interesting. interesting way to present that for sure. It kind um, of seemed to explore the feeling of taking the drug rather yeah. than just the effect of the drug after mm-hmm. the fact, like the, the and, drug entering the body. Yeah. And the effects in general, I wanted to touch on that just for a moment because I, I thought the whole, um, you know, it was almost reminiscent of a petri dish or something. Yeah, m- mixed with like film burns or you know acetate or something like all in the neon colors. Yeah, uh, very very cool imagery. Yeah, and what Mark is referring to, in case I mean, I hope that anyone has seen this, but if they haven't, there are certain moments like when some of the characters are taking drugs uh, or having sex or you're kind of basically anytime they're doing the thing that yeah, euphoric uh... euphoric. Which you know, actually, well, let me finish. So so basically, what happens is there's this weird color wash where basically the image becomes a pure abstraction, um, just soaked in color. How I actually interpreted that, and when I started thinking about it, is that's how the aliens see. Because Mm -hmm. that color effect only came on right before the aliens were, like like when they were, when heroin was out, or when Mm -hmm. that euphoric thing was happening that the aliens would want to take. Uh, I got that same feeling. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a point of view. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But but going going back to another point you made that it 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 feels so different than other movies about drugs. To me, this movie actually feels. I mean, I I don't have a lot of experience with drugs personally, but from from talking to people I know in my life who have or anything like that, this movie actually feels much more accurate to the experience of being an addict than a lot of the really really heavy movies about drug use. And the reason for that is that it's not connecting any dots because people who are deep in an addiction generally aren't thinking back, oh, why am I in so much pain? You know, why am I struggling? Why do I feel the need to do this? They're just kind of doing the thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it becomes casual. It just becomes the thing they need to do without any real outside circumstances or ideas informing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with sex, you know, I think there's a certain amount of, like, sex addiction in this movie as well that it explores. And it's just yeah. kind of this, like, animal thing where people, you know, they, they just need the high because maybe they're unhappy or maybe just because they just want to be a little happier. Mm-hmm. And and it's just this constant thing. And, and I think that's kind of what was so dark and interesting. But also, contextually, what's really interesting, knowing what happened in the world 
with the AIDS epidemic right after this time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. It's a, it's a different take on it. It's, uh, like you said, it's, it's, um, you know, like some movies that try to tackle this and they do like these, you know, almost like these exposés of like exploitative, uh, you know, showing all kinds of different, it's almost like this movie is more abstract and that makes it more real. Yeah. In a weird way. Like, because you, you're almost, you feel like an alien watching this almost, you know, mm-hmm. these things happening and you think of it like what, you know, what are these people doing to themselves? You know, uh, apparently liquid sky makes you dance a lot because a lot of the characters would just break out in like spastic dancing, which I thought was pretty interesting like different like you know like again it just has that youthful feel to it it just has that like energy to it you know yeah and even like the the the, the dialogue is kind of delivered in a weird way a lot of the time but Mm -hmm. somehow it feels more accurate to how people actually talk you know kind of the small talk and bullshit like the the rhythms Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily how people actually talk but what they're talking about Mm -hmm. somehow seems more real than a lot of movies and a lot of moments, a lot of a lot of things they said have like double meanings as well. Which I actually wrote down this uh, very short exchange uh, between Jimmy and and his mother mm-hmm. um, when they were sitting at the kitchen table. She, she says, "Can I give you a lift uptown?" And he replies, "No, I'm going down." Yeah. And just that was like, wow. Like <laughs> I don't yeah. know, just like wow. That just you know. Well, contextually right too, in yeah. for those of you who aren't really familiar with New York City, um, basically there's this street called Houston Street um, in New York City, which is now where a lot of the fashion is. Um, but but back in the 80s, kind of south of Houston, uh, called, it's called Soho, was where a lot of the art scene was. But it was also, now it's kind of like Disneyland. But but back then, it yeah. was a really dangerous mm-hmm. area. You know, it really, it was, it was mostly young artists and, you know, people who you wouldn't necessarily want to come in contact with late at night. You know, lots of drugs, prostitution, all that. So him saying I'm going downtown contextually too and saying that to his mother is basically declaring I'm going to get into no good mm-hmm. and just saying that straight up. And even just saying I'm going down. I'm like, going what, down, what, yeah. What does that mean? You know, I'm going down. I'm going like, down, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and there's a lot of really beautiful dialogue in this. It really is like, it's sharp, it's witty. It, it almost like hits you. Like, you know, you, you almost feel like um, after you've seen so many films, you kind of feel like... You know, you've seen it all or heard it all. Like, but but you know, there were moments in this film where the character would say something and actually just like made me take a moment and think about it. And it just you know, not every movie does that. So I think even just from that aspect, uh, it's it's worth looking at. Um, and one other aspect I wanted to touch on just briefly here: uh, the editing. We don't, you know, editing doesn't always get the the credit it deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought many scenes had a juxtaposition to it that I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, between the images and what was going on. Like one example is cutting back and forth between uh, photos of Margaret and her traditional coming of age, growing up in a small town mm-hmm. uh, in Connecticut. And then, you know, cutting that or weaving within that, her currently snorting cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, so just things like that, you know, they did that a lot in the film and it's very powerful uh, yeah. when you com- when you combine those different types of images so, um, did, was that something that you took notice to as well? Yeah, well, you know what? It's not something I really thought about a lot during the film, but now that you're bringing it up, there are some moments that are kind of coming to mind where now that, that do seem kind of unconventional and really surprising. Uh, like there was one scene where there were like three conversations going on all at once. Right. 
Um, and rather than going from one conversation, then cutting to another scene, finishing that conversation, they were cutting these conversations together, but they were shot in such a way where it was like, you know, shot reverse shot. And it looked like one person was having a conversation with someone else, but then you realize that they're cutting multiple scenes together and it became a little confusing, um, in a good way because it was like this, this young woman moving throughout the world, having these conversations, not really absorbing Mm -hmm. any of them, just kind of bouncing from conversation, (laughs) feeling confused. Um, you know, the, I mean, obviously the, the, the more severe edits where it was like, uh, you know, these color bleeds, um, one thing, one thing I thought was cool was kind of the, the interaction with the camera too. I felt like a lot of the time there was almost a conscious, even if they weren't looking right down the barrel of the camera, it felt like these actors and actresses and these characters were almost kind of posing or voguing for the camera. You know, like a, like, like a fashion shoot. <laughs> yeah, like the whole thing was kind of this fashion shoot, and they were all trying to get their little bit of pleasure, their little bit of screen time, which may have been a result of actually having untrained actors who were just <laughs> trying to get their screen time mm-hmm. and were kind of vain. But you know, that's kind of perfectly fitting. Um, another thing that I thought was really interesting was the way that photography was used throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the girl is a model and. You know, what photography does is it captures a moment kind of out of context for the rest of time. And that's kind of what she's struggling with is feeling like she, you know, is kind of out of time, stuck in a moment, not really sure what's going to happen before or after, but just trying to look good and Mm. feel good, which is kind of what they're all doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's interesting to me, too, um, kind of off of that is that because she's a model, she's constantly being dressed up and made up and the fact that this is an alien film and that when you look at it, you know, we, we have the context of the scene, but realistically, if you were to see any of these people walking down the street, they would look alien to us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so it's almost like she is the alien in a weird Mm -hmm. way outside of her own comfort zone or, you know, I mean, Connecticut compared to Soho in 1982 (laughs) is basically like going to another, another planet anyways. Right. Um, Right. I didn't even think about that, but that, that makes total sense. For sure. Yeah, that's that's um see there's levels upon levels in this film. Yeah, no, it's a really it's a really definitely worth worth exploring, I think. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so many interesting moments. Definitely. Yeah, this is this is definitely a, a recommended one from us. Um and uh one last thing I want to touch on real quick, uh the dual role, uh the, the performances mm-hmm. um with uh I just forgot her name. <laughs> Uh, Carlisle and Carlisle. Yeah. yeah, the the dual role played by Anne Carlisle uh, with the main characters of Margaret and Jimmy. How, how do you think that worked? Do you, do you think that added an interesting aspect to the film? Yeah, well, t- honestly, I didn't even realize it was the same person mm-hmm. playing them until after because so many of the characters look so androgynous yeah. that I didn't even question it. I just kind of mm-hmm. said, oh, you know, like, it's oh, a could... it's a man who kind of looks feminine and a woman who kind of looks masculine and mm-hmm. uh, which I think is is maybe the point of having the same actress probably intentional yeah. yeah yeah because it makes you realize that if everyone I mean the idea of androgyny in a scene that's all about individualism is mm-hmm. kind of an interesting juxtaposition because mm-hmm. if everyone is trying to look the same but be different you know those two those two things are kind of at odds with each other mm-hmm yeah, and it's almost like they're trying to say it doesn't matter what we look like, but really it does, you know, mm-hmm. to to other people and in the world, and and that's what they're kind of rebelling against, I would say, in this. 
um, one of the things we're rebelling against. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and what, what's interesting too is, you know, this, this young woman does want, I think, a sense of being an individual. She doesn't feel like she's on her own. And I think that she, when she finds out that, uh, as she said, I won't say the actual word, but she says, they call me beautiful and I kill with my C word. Isn't it fashionable? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like she has that ability. She finds out about her ability to kill people through having sex. And her first thought is, I'm an original. You know, it's cool. I'm in vogue. It's interesting. It's it's different. Um, it's kind of interesting because she's trying to separate herself. And then when she finds out that it's not her and in fact is something outside of her, it's really disappointing to the point where she wants to off herself, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that theme also of kind of breaking from the herd uh, is really prevalent. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff going on here. Yeah. This movie does have some uh, has some beautiful vulgarities. <laughs> yeah. Say that. Yeah. Uh, again, it kind of just takes you by surprise almost. Where yeah. you're just like, did she really say that? Wow. Yeah. Not great. one. Not one to watch uh, with your mother-in-law. No, probably not the best one. Probably not. Um, yeah, but definitely one to watch and one to watch multiple times. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say I'm definitely going to go revisit this. Mark, any uh, final thoughts, images? Well, I would say yeah, from person from my personal uh, view. Yeah, I mean, definitely watch it more than once because I, I kind of wrote this movie off. You know, first time I saw it, I um, like I said, kind of washed over me. Maybe I was expecting something different. Um, so I just didn't maybe take it in as much. But seeing it the second time and really paying attention to it, I, I really got a lot from it. So um, that's and also, um, you know, the moments I, I, that one scene I brought up about her putting the makeup on while she's basically looking at the camera um, and giving that monologue. Um, also, the scene of the, the montage or the cutting back and forth between the uh, the photos of her growing up and her, you know, doing drugs currently and all that. I, I thought those two parts were probably the ones that stuck out the most to me. And then just the uh, the visuals, the effects, you know, the pixelated, uh, discolored imagery that you see throughout. That just is that just almost sears into your brain, you know. When you think of this movie, it's like that just really sticks with you. Um, mm-hmm. So how about for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, the big one for me. I, I mean, a lot of things. You can probably hear the enthusiasm in my voice. I'm super excited about this movie. I also plan on stealing from it in my own work a lot at this point as you should as you should as as all of you (laughs) any any of you are filmmakers listening steal and steal often we Um, all steal so steal from the best yeah steal from the best um but yeah particularly um particularly the makeup and then particularly the scene you're referring to as well which is in carlisle's big monologue um while she's putting makeup on it's just such a beautiful beautiful poignant moment um particularly in today's world too um like like i think so many of the things that this movie explores just hold up and if you were to just swap out you know 80 soho for 2018 williamsburg and put people in hipster clothing yeah. it would all work exactly the same and work just as well just um, as resonant yeah and it seems like it, that scene is so fascinating to me because it's almost like the scene where she's putting the makeup on, uh, it's almost like they know that the makeup is iconic in this movie. It's almost yeah. like they know, like, this is what the movie is. And it's like, they just give it to you in that scene. And, you know, it's just, it's like everything that you would want it to be. Yeah. Um, because the makeup, once again, I'll say it again, it's just another character. It's like, uh, you know, it's such a huge part of this movie. Um, which which is cool, because it's an element of cinema that normally kind of gets pushed yeah, under the rug. It's glossed just, over. For we're sure. going to make the character look the way they're supposed to. But in this one, it's you know, 
the character is going to almost be just drowned in makeup yeah. and you're going to notice it and you're going to think about what it means. It's in your face. It's in yeah. your face. It's in your face and on literally <laughs> on, on their face. Yeah. It's on their face. Um, yeah, definitely. And then the, the, you have the androgyny, like you said, and the dual roles. So it's like, so it's almost like the lack of makeup, you know, for the, uh, the male character she plays is, is another character, you know, it's like another aspect of, of the makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, all around it just, it's so much to dive into with this movie. Um, so much to talk about. We've probably only brushed the surface, but mm-hmm. that's probably going to do it for this episode. So we're going to keep going with the series. We're going to keep going down in our budget. We're going to get lower and lower and we're going to discuss these films and what makes them so interesting and what they do with the little money that they do have. This has been the second part of our series, Lo-Fi Sci-Fi. Thank you for listening. And you can find us on iTunes and Podbean as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.